0: Welcome to Wrestling Memories Online, heard exclusively at RadioNorthland.org. I'm Glenn Broggett, the host of Wrestling Memories Online, with my co-host. He's been on a a little bit of a vacation. Maybe he's been on a researching, fact-finding mission, but it's great to have him back. Nonetheless, my co-host, partner in crime, noted pro-wrestling historian, Mr. George Shire. Welcome back to Wrestling Memories Online. It's been a while. Hey, Glenn. Yeah,
1: it's fun to be back on. And uh, no, I haven't been on vacation or anything. Sometimes I just like you to fly solo. You, you did such a great job. And, and uh, you've got some guys out there that you enjoy interviewing. So sometimes I just let the people know you do it you do well
0: yeah and you know what and I I've been kind of uh, branching out I've had a couple of uh, interviews here the last one being the Chris Curtis interview uh, I, I also talked to uh, I had an hour uh, uh, with Tony Candelo you you're one your one-time boss at the West four with the announcing gig oh well, yeah
1: I, you know Tony and I we uh, we've known each other since the 80s and uh, you did a good job on that one Tony's been in the business a long time and uh, obviously a He's a character. He's a fun guy, and uh, you did a great job. So yeah. I'm glad you were able to do that.
0: Yeah, and you know we had a few other things that I've been doing, and I, you know, like I said, we we kind of branch off from time to time. That's kind of the spirit of having the online program. You can come in anytime you want. You got the open door policy. And George, today we're going to discuss because we've been kind of away. You know, we both been really busy. I've been doing my thing. You've been doing your thing. Logistically, we we're finally able to connect. And uh, today we're going to talk about some things, some passings. Uh, most notably, the, the the big passing that was a month or so ago now, uh, like I said, it's been a while since we've gotten together, but we were really trying to get the, get it right, and we finally were able to today uh, to talk about uh, Virgil Runnels uh, Jr., a.k.a. the American Dream, Dusty Rose, and today we're going to really get into uh, some of his stuff. That uh, we, we, it doesn't really get uh, it kind of gets glossed over, I think, when people remember Dusty as far as uh, the modern day, but uh, George, what what an area and, and what a professional uh, wrestler and personality Dusty Rhodes was.:
1: Well, you know, I think Dusty Rhodes, Glenn, he personified what a character can do in the business, mm-hmm. and what charisma brings to the business and what charisma can do to make a career. And, and I think that really sums up Dusty, because he had charisma. He had it. You know, whatever that it is, Dusty had it from day one, really. And I, I want to, you know, I'll go back to 1975 for a moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my, my oldest daughter, who was born in 1975, she was just a baby, And she, I had All Star Wrestling on here from the Twin Cities, and Dusty Rhodes was delivering one of his famous interviews with Wally or with uh, Marty O'Neill, and our little baby sitting there in the in the jumper seat she was in when Dusty came on and he started talking about his million dollar smile and he was (laughs) jiving and you know giving out the big words or the fancy phrases and. She smiled and was giggling, and she's watching the TV screen. Mm -hmm. And we kind of chuckled even back then, because, you know, here was a baby, and when Dusty came on, and he talked about his million-dollar smile, and he was a heel in those days. Well, at that point, he had just basically turned baby face here. But, you know, he had that it, and even a baby caught on to it. So Dusty knew how to get in front of the camera and really deliver on the microphone. You and I both know that in pro wrestling of old, that was what sold tickets uh, probably more than anything.
0: Hmm. When 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 television was the vehicle for promotion for for uh, the live shows, when this was this was eons away from what became the pay per view era, the television ratings era. It was uh, the television, it, yeah, and the interviews. What drove those people to the arena? And you talked about your daughter, a, a baby getting a. But it was that draw of Dusty, that allure of Dusty. He just had that, 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 that it, like you mentioned, he was a cartoon, walking cartoon character. And he was that guy that, you know, he couldn't be a heel for too long. There was just, as he was learning the ropes through the professional wrestling trade, he just had that feeling about that guy. There was just something that it factor. I bet even watching it when he teamed up with Dick Murdoch, when they were heels as the Texas Outlaws, there was just something kind of bubbling under with Dusty.
1: Yeah, there really was. And you know, he, he again I go back to that first part where I said the character. You know, Virgil Runnels wasn't just a normal guy. I mean, he wasn't just your average guy that comes on the microphone and talks. He wasn't your average heel where he growled and, you know, spit all over the microphone and 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 made threats. He wasn't that type of a heel. He he was a guy who, you know, even when he was when he first came to the AWA in 1972 and he was uh, Larry Hennig's partner. And this is still back when Larry was pretty boy, Larry Hennig. And here comes Dusty Rhodes, a very young Dusty Rhodes. And he'd get on the microphone and he started referring to Hennig as Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Henry Hennig. (laughs) And then he'd rattle off something, you know, and, and, and he was the bad guy, but he, he just had that gift of gab and that, that way with words and like you said uh, Glenn, you know, the interview I, I tell this to folks all the time, I say you know, you don't realize back in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s decades of television how important that two or three minute interview was sometimes it wasn't even three minutes minute and a half to two minutes the, the boys had a chance to get on that microphone and they had to make you love them or make you hate them. But bottom line, either way, you had to want to run to that box office to get a ticket. That was all they had. And each one had their own shtick. And Dusty Rhodes, man, he found his, even as dirty Dusty Rhodes, which is what he was in the early 70s, for the late 60s, even when. When he and Dickie Murdoch hooked up, it just just had that gift.
0: And it was a gift that transcended body type, too, because, you know, when we look at the product of today, you know these are uh, in you know, very in shape. Uh, you got the muscle tone. You have these these bodybuilders. You also even have some of the little guys with the muscle, the muscle frame and musculature. Dusty Rhodes to say he had musculature—that's kind of stretching it just a little bit. I mean, there was probably some muscle underneath all that body that body mass. But Dusty wasn't uh, again another guy that represented uh, what was the golden age of wrestling. It was uh, many shapes and sizes, and that was definitely the case of Big Dust because. he... He came out with Superstar Billy Graham. He had both the gift and the muscle and the bodybuilder's physique, but Dusty Rhodes was like the uh, the doughier, uh, I guess, the doughier brother or something, the doughier alternative. Dusty, uh, again, it was a transcendence of body body image.
1: Well, and, you know, that's another thing that a lot of folks today, you know, our modern-day fans and looking at the modern-day product. And, you know, we see that most of the wrestlers today, uh, all of them are they, they have big bodies, they have massive builds, they have muscles on top of muscles, and, and they're all cut. I mean, they're really, they're really, you know, chiseled down in their bodies. And, and when you go back to that, again, going from the 50s on up, even the late 40s, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the wrestlers were uh, almost average-looking guys. They, they were guys that the fans could relate to. I mean, when we could go look at the baby faces of the year, guys like Roy McLarity and and Vern Gagne and Wilbur Snyder and and you know that that kind of mix. These were guys with, you know, yeah, they probably had a little bit better body than your average dude on the street, but for the most part, they were average-looking guys, mm-hmm. and they didn't have to be built six foot six and and have you know long, tanned bodies, and, you know, the whole thing. Dusty Rhodes comes along, and, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, Dusty Rhodes didn't have any type of bodybuilder <laughs> body. He wasn't cut by any measure. He was he was kind of blubbery, and he'd get in there and jiggle a little bit, and when he jiggled, he shaked, you know, and, uh, and the blubber on his body shaked. I mean, you think about some of those early years and even the later ones. Dusty was jigging in there, yeah. and he just... He caught on, but it was also that character, that that charisma that he had. And, you know, he had very expressive face. His eyes, they they, they were big and they twinkled and they were blue. And, you know, Dusty just, and like I say, with that gift of gab, his body didn't matter because the fans, they could get behind him. They could believe in him. And Dusty was one of those guys, you know, he'd go out there and tell you what he was going to do. And, of course, you know, he went out and he did it and he got the cheers for doing it. So, yeah, he was different. He, he just, I always said Dusty Rhodes was, was kind of the, uh, the Hulk Hogan of the 70s, where, you know, he basically, in every territory he went, and though we didn't have a national exposure to pro wrestling, you know, via pay-per-view and cable and that sort of thing in the 70s yet, but in every territory he went to, Dusty was the biggest thing on the card. Mm-hmm. And the opponents, the, the, his fellow wrestlers, you know, when they were in the territory with him, they either wanted to be on the card that Dusty was on, or they wanted to be in a match that Dusty was in, whether it be his tag partner or his opponent, because that was a bigger payday. So Dusty was the guy that you wanted to follow. He was kind of that Pied Piper that you wanted to get behind. And, you know, that, that was that it factor.
0: Mm-hmm. And what a what a way to com- the comparison! I, I definitely think you were, you were very spot on uh, with comparing him to be the Hulk Hogan of the seventies, and a guy uh, that Dusty was went, went head head to head with a few times, and and worked with and worked against was another guy I mentioned. He was more uh, of the muscular cut from the uh, the Greek god sort of uh, bodybuilder uh, mode of professional wrestler that ended up becoming, like I mentioned, a big per regular sort of thing in the eighties. But we're talking about a Guy who had the gift of gab, superstar Billy Graham, and when these two got together, there was some very memorable stuff. People talk about again uh, the AWA kind of gets put to the side because a lot of people think about when they watch the old videos, it's a lot with the with the superstar Graham and Dusty the, from the WWF. But they 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 were they crossed paths in the AWA. Uh, you, you remember?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, the thing was, you know, when you say that a lot of this stuff gets lost, I mean, sadly, you and I are both aware, and it, it, we wish it wasn't this way, but mm-hmm. uh, pro wrestling from television and arena matches, what is out there is is been just, you know, played to death, but there is so little of it, because back in that era, television stations around the country a lot of times didn't save their weekly television tapings, they, they taped over them. Uh, You go back even farther, they have the old reel-to-reel tapes, and they did tape over them. And and so a lot of that stuff that that was out there that would be so classic to see is lost. And when you mention the superstar, you know, Billy Graham came on the scene in the AWA. That was where he got his very first major push. He had been out in California and done a little wrestling up in Canada before he he launched his you know, big-time superstar Billy Graham stick here in the AWA. But it was Vern Gagne's uh, circuit that gave him that first opportunity to get in front of the camera. And Billy was big. He was the first muscle wrestler that was getting a major push because before his time, guys like Sailor Art Thomas, and, you know, that's one that comes to mind, but the, they had big, massive builds, and they were bodybuilders. But in typical wrestling of that era, those guys didn't always get over because they were more muscle and less charisma and less uh, uh, colorful. And here comes superstar Billy Graham. And, you know, he's on the shtick with uh, Marty O'Neill or whatever announcer he'd be on with the AWA, and he started with that, you know, I am the reflection of perfection, the number one selection daddy. and. And I'm too sweet to be sour, the man of the hour, the man with the power. And, you know, all those things he'd run off. And Dusty Rhodes, he was able to pick up on that too. And though Dusty didn't have the body that we're talking about like Superstar did, but to to put them together or against each other, you know, there isn't a fan out there that couldn't get excited about it. And we had the opportunity in the early 70s where superstar Billy Graham turned babyface against uh, Horst Hoffman and Baron von Raschke, the, the, the Germans turned on superstar in six-man match. Superstar needed to get a partner. Well, you know, it was a big deal when all of a sudden he comes up with big dust. And this was the start. This was where it started, the American dream 1974. A lot of times... Uh, Eddie Graham gets credit for creating the American dream down in Florida for uh, Florida championship wrestling. Mm-hmm. But that charisma, that character of the American dream really started right here. And then sadly, dusty did move on and he went down to Florida and he was in Texas and Atlanta and different places like that. And you know, that's where the dream became the reality. He was the son of a plumber. He was an ordinary guy. And the fans really rallied behind him. So uh, together, him and Superstar, they also, as you alluded to, had some classic battles against each other, not only in uh, the WWF, but they wrestled uh, in Florida and they wrestled in uh, the Mid-South. And, uh, you know, either one, usually it was Superstar in those days, still playing the heel. But they were both the kind of a guy that fans just learned to cheer for rather than boo. And Dusty just, he took it, boy, I'll tell you what, he was, I really do, I'll say that again, he was the Hulk Hogan of the 70s, from about the mid-70s, 74 on. And, you know, had pay-per-view and cable and all that stuff been around as early as that, I think it would have been Dusty Rhodes that it would have been in in the position that Hulk would have been later on.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll turn to talk a little bit later on about uh, Dusty and being in the right place at the right time and uh, having his reputation and taking it behind the scenes even further with his run with Jim Crockett. But I want to talk about, I've been mean, kind of researching a little bit more. Uh, and I you know I remember reading uh, something about this in Gary Hart's book, how uh, Dusty came up through the uh, the early days and kind of got his nickname. And it was kind of crazy. I didn't realize, uh, I've heard from some sources that they said that part of that character well, that name was based on an Andy Griffith character that he had in the film A Face in the Crowd.
1: Um, that was from the Gary Hart book?
0: Yeah, they've been, uh, Gary Hart uh, helped break Dusty in and, uh, oh, Dave yeah. helped, and christened him with the name Dusty Rhodes.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people, really, really old baseball fans, may recall that uh, eons ago there was actually a baseball player named Dusty Rhodes. And I always doubted that there was any connection there, and I had never heard any reference that there was. But, you know, when Dusty first started wrestling back in the mid-60s, it was around 65, 66, he was starting to get his feet wet, wet. and he actually uh, started wrestling as Dusty Runnell in those earliest matches. And he, he was Dusty Runnels for a while. And then he, he, when he got to Detroit, that was when he kind of took on the Dusty Rhodes name. But he was a heel from those early days on, from about 65, 66 until about the mid 70s. Every territory he went to, he worked as a heel. And, you know, again, even though he had that shtick, he, would, he, didn't, he wasn't putting across as much of the charisma, I don't think, because he, he was belittling opponents and doing things like that, but he was still wrapping it off. And that was in an era when fans just weren't used to that type of an interview from any wrestler, because usually the heel would just come out and insult the town and insult the fans and tell them they're going to kick the behind of their local favorite in their match tonight, and that was enough to get them over. And then you had the good guy, you know, who'd come out and be polite and sweet, and you know, I'm going to let my actions in the ring speak for me, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. And then comes Dusty, you know, and again, even as a heel, he was different.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, we, a lot we haven't mentioned this yet. I mean, we we still got to talk about the the man. Well, Dusty first cut his teeth and really gained some fame, and he he did it uh, as part of the Texas Outlaws and Dick Murdoch and him did wreaked so much havoc uh, on the rings th- up and down the United States, most notably up here in the AWA. But I'm reading these guys uh, got together, what, as early as the late, later part of the 1960s? Yeah,
1: 1969, I believe it was, without looking at anything. Uh, it was 1968 or 69 when they got together. Uh, they, they were in Kansas City together. They were Central States Tag Team Champions. Then they worked for the Sheik in Detroit, Ed, Ed Farhat. And uh, you know the sheik ran the Detroit territory behind the scenes, and here he brings in this young tag team of of Dirty Dick Murdoch and Dirty Dusty Rhodes. And I want to put I want to put a, a sidebar there for a second, and before I go any farther, you know, Dickie Murdoch had been wrestling since the the mid '60s as well, and he had kind of an earlier career where he was teamed up with a lot of people may not know this, but he was teamed up as uh, with Don Carson, who was a good journeyman wrestler, had been, you know, had a good run in several territories, a blonde villain, and he brought Don Carson, lo and behold, brought in his younger brother, Ron Carson, Ronnie Carson. And this was Dickie Murdoch back in the in the mid-60s. So Ron and Don Carson had a run together. And then, uh, you know, Dickie Murdoch was always uh, noted for being... Uh, uh, second generation wrestler and he comes into the ring with dusty Rhodes with uh the sheik's territory and they were tag team champions there the sheik ha- uh had his own world tag team championship a detroit version of it and you know dick and and uh dusty had that title for a while and and uh yeah that was the early the early start and uh just a just a great team. I, I tell you what, I remember seeing the programs. I get my Detroit programs back in the day, 69, 70, and they're the, they're the outlaws. And I thought, wow, they'd be great to see, you know, just looking at them. Sure. To me, they always reminded me of kind of like Crusher and Bruiser. They just didn't have the the builds in that era that the Crusher and the Bruiser did.
0: Mm-hmm. They were kind of like the Bizarro Crusher and Bruiser because yeah. you know you see from those clips, those great uh, some of the surviving footage from Chicago, the amphitheater with those guys. It was really fun to check that out because you got the the beer drinking uh, Northerners, you know, yep. that tough guy, cold climate guys against them cowboys from Texas. It was just the perfect yin and yang.
1: Well, they were the rednecks. I mean, and they—that's a good comparison with the beer drinking thing because. Dusty and, and uh, Murdoch, they were, they were kind of the bizarre I like that, the bizarro crusher and bruiser. And, boy, they had some matches against each other in the AWA, those two tag teams. You know, when Dusty came in and he was first aligned with Larry Hennig, um, Larry had just come off of a tag team uh, combination with Lars Anderson, Larry Hainimi. And Lars had been suspended as the storyline went for brutal tactics, and, the, and he was suspended. So, you know, lo and behold, Uh, Larry needed a new tag team partner and he brought in a a younger wrestler at that time, which was Dusty Rhodes. And I remember immediately thinking, wow, I wish we could get Dick Murdoch to come in instead, (laughs) because I I just thought, you know, from the Kansas city programs I'd, I'd gotten and the Detroit programs I'd seen him in. Uh, wow. You know, I, I, Dickie Murdoch has to be part of the equation. And it was in 1973 that uh, about a year later, when uh, Murdoch came to the AWA and Vern, smartly, did not waste any time uh, putting them together. And uh, they took off and they had, they had tag team matches with Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. A uh, heel versus heel team. And uh, I will tell you that in a couple of those matches, as as much as uh, Nick and Ray were he hated as heels in that, that era they were actually cheered in some of the matches against Murdoch and Rhodes. So that's what's fun about those type of matches because fans always had to somehow in the match make a choice. And in this case, Dusty and Dick, they were able to pull it off and be the heels.
0: Mm-hmm. So what what led to what was the last big thing that Dusty did before he left the AWA, kind of uh, to write him out or to to head him right off into the sunset to uh, move on to other territories like the Florida territory? How were they able to kind of transition Dusty out of uh, out of the AWA?
1: Well, you know that's interesting, Glenn, because they didn't actually, you know, in one of the few times where you'd say they have to have a storyline, like I had mentioned earlier with Lars Anderson. Uh, when Lars Anderson was injured, or I'm sorry, suspended, uh, he basically was leaving the territory, and he went out to California to San Francisco and hooked up with Paul DeMarco, and they became NWA champions out there. So, in that case, the fans here just knew that Lars was suspended. But in the case of Dusty Rhodes, um, he was working with superstar Billy Graham, as I had mentioned earlier, against the Germans, and they were having another uh, match, and Basically, Dusty did not show up. He, I, I think, he had just decided to leave the AWA, and I don't know if he and Vern had had an issue. I don't, I don't, I don't ever. I've never heard anything. I don't think they did. But Dusty had been spending a lot more time. I know he didn't like the war, the colder weather. Mm-hmm. Dusty was not a Minnesota weather fan. He didn't like it up in Detroit because it was cold. So I think it was the Florida lure, and we had a match where. Uh, Superstar Graham and Dusty Rhodes were supposed to be partners, and it ended up being uh, Dusty just wasn't here and he was gone. And, you know, we had other stars at the time. We had Ivan Putzky and, you know, Larry Hennig could fill in. And so, I mean, Dusty just wasn't there. So but just... I don't ever recall in a rare time like this, I don't ever recall Dusty being written out or injured or anything like that that he was gone. And from about 75 on, after 75 on, he was he was pretty much Florida, the South, and Atlanta, and that sort of thing. But he were, he worked in the Mid-South for Bill Watts a lot. Mm-hmm. He and Dickie Murdoch had, had matches against each other in Florida and the Mid-South. Because mm-hmm. Dick did the heel run for a lot longer. Uh, fans may recall that Dickie Murdoch became redneck D- Dick Murdoch. Yep, Captain
0: Redneck. Captain
1: Redneck, <laughs> redneck yes. And... Uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes would team with Bill Watts when Watts was uh, in Mid-South. And, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was basically, it was the lure of the, the warmer weather. And, and I think Dusty wanted to get into the promotional side of it, the behind-the-scenes part. You know, he was, Dusty was a, fans, promoters, wrestlers, they all have their opinion. But, you know, Dusty was a good booker. He knew how to book a match. He knew how to book a finish. He knew how to tell a storyline. He knew how to get you to come back next week and Dusty was good behind the scenes, and he got in with Eddie Graham, and most guys, Glenn, mm-hmm. uh, through the years, that, you know, there are always about four or five guys that most wrestlers will mention as being the greatest promoters or greatest booker minds. Guys like Roy Shire and Bill Watts and Ole Anderson and Eddie Graham come to mind. Vern Gagne, they always come up in conversation. Whether you like the guys personally or not, you'd you, you knew that they were going to, you know, you were going to be in a territory where there was going to be a lot happening and a lot that made sense happening. Mm. And so I think that's what Dusty did. He ended up working with Eddie Graham and, and, you know, he booked for him and he was in Atlanta where he booked for Crockett. And, uh, and you know, then there are the, the downsides, too. We got fans that say, well, you know, Dusty put himself in the main event. You know, he put himself over. Well, it goes back to the old story. When the guy can sell tickets and the guy can bring them to the auditorium, that's the guy you want on the card.
0: Oh, I wholeheart and, wholeheartedly agree with that, George. Yeah. Because I mean, you know what? And he's protecting his ends. He's the guy in the office too. And he had and he did have that box office juice. So you have to kind of work to both masters.
1: And that's why I said earlier too. You know that there were always wrestlers they wanted to be on a card that Dusty Rhodes was going to be on. They wanted to be on a card that uh, they were going to be against him or teamed with him because. Dusty was, was primary in drawing. And, you know, the thing you've got to remember about pro wrestling, I mean, today it's the same way. It takes two guys or, or two tag teams to bring the fans in. It's not always just one, but there is always one guy that for some reason just has that extra amount of charisma, and Dusty was in that category. You know, a month or so back when you and I were talking, uh, kind of talking about Vern Gagne's career, we alluded to that as well, that people talked about Vern putting himself over on cards. But Vern was the same in the Dusty situation, where when Vern was on a card, the attendance increased. And that's documented. I can show you documentation. Vern put extra butts in the seat. And then what you alluded to, where Vern knew he could trust Vern to work the match the way it wanted and tell the story the way, didn't have to worry about a guy bolting or getting upset. So Dusty, you know, as a good booker and a good worker, let any I was never, okay, I was never personally a Dusty Rhodes fan, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what, I can tell you that I have never in my life, and I saw Dusty in many territories, including, of course, the AWA. I never saw Dusty give a bad performance or be in a bad match. Dusty went out there, and from the the, the ringing of the opening bell, he worked his butt off. And he gave the fans all of their money's worth and then some. So and when you—that's what it was all about.
0: So when your travels, uh, you you had it. You you saying you had a chance to check out Dusty outside of the AWA, and if you have, uh, where where did you go with it? Where where did you see him uh, work? Because you know it is kind of fun and curious to because in those territory days to see, see and hear about Dusty in 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 various parts of the country.
1: Well, I had a chance to see Dusty down in Tampa when he was down there first before he made the switch from a from a heel to a baby face because he had been teamed. Uh, with Pac Song, yep. and uh, they had a falling out. That was a Gary Hart thing. And Gary Hart, you know, you mentioned him earlier. There's another mind for the business. Oh, my gosh. And who would ever think that Gary Hart, the manager and sometime part-time wrestler, was, was so influential, but he was a guy that you wanted to have in your booking office or around you because he was so creative in his, in his finishes and what he could do. So that's one of the times that I saw Dusty wrestle in Tampa as a baby face. And then I did have a chance to see him when he was in Oklahoma uh, doing work for Bill Watts. But, you know, I didn't get a chance to see him into the later 70s or into the 80s. And, you know, as the mid-80s came along, Dusty was a victim like all the rest of wrestling with champ- Florida Championship Wrestling, being attacked by the, the, the big beast from the East and wrestling changing how it's presented and focus, focused on, and, and Dusty tried to fight it along with, you know, other promoters, and eventually, you know, Vince convinced him to come up there and work for him in those yellow polka dots. You remember that?
0: Oh, yes, yes. He, he took that rib, though, and, and the thing was, he, he put it right back in their face.
1: Well, he did, and I mean, he was bigger than, you know, Dusty, the, 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 the good thing there is that Dusty was big enough to overcome what at the time Vince McMahon was trying to do to him. He was trying to bury Dusty and say that Dusty wasn't a major player and Dusty wasn't important because obviously Vince was on a mission with Hulk Hogan and the rest of his superstars at the time. But Dusty did transcend that. And the fans, they they by that time they knew, you know, we had the cable TV capabilities and fans were more open to they had seen Dusty in, in Florida and, and Atlanta and Dusty wasn't gonna be denied. And so Dusty was just he was the kind of a guy that he was an addition to a card even if he wasn't on the main event. He was an addition that could draw fans. And he was nev- he never left that type of aura. Uh, he, he was that way his whole life. He just he was the he had that it factor.
0: You know, and and for me, uh, Dusty Rhodes to me was right at the time when uh, Jim Crockett, of course, this was uh, crawling out of the wreckage with the whole Georgia Championship Wrestling thing being bought by Vince, then being sold to Crockett, and uh, Dusty and the rest and the guys coming down to uh, run the book and the show. But boy, what a transition! uh, You know, this was when I first got exposed to the NWA, which is right place at the right time, seeing Dusty Rhodes. Something, something I only got to see maybe once in a while when he did a spot show for the AWA on the All-Star Wrestling program, which was a few and far between things when I first started watching in the early 80s, but he did make appearances for Vern here and there, but I remember watching and hearing this guy, you know, finally seeing this guy that I saw in the magazines, and he drew me in with the talking, and it was 85, it was right around the time when Dusty had that red-hot angle, which is a revisiting of angles past because it's pro wrestling, and nothing's not exactly new, it's just kind of a reinvention of something that was old and worked but at the classic angle he worked with rick flair saving rick flair from the russians attack only to get jumped by him and the andersons
1: mm-hmm. yeah and you know you you're so correct when you say everything in wrestling has been hashed and rehashed and you know, there's nothing new it's always just a new twist or a new way to present it and the fans are of course new as as we move on and and dusty uh I wanted to, you, when you were reminding me of the uh, AWA appearances later on, Dusty actually made his last AWA appearance was in a St. Paul card in June of 1984. The famous Jerry Blackwell turn. That's right. Jerry turned baby face. That was the big battle royal. And uh, Sheik Adnan Casey and Bruiser Brody and Abdullah the Butcher turned on Jerry Blackwell, their fellow stablemate, and they started beating on him and beating on him. And, of course, if you talk about angles that you remember and are, that are just <laughs> memorable, that was one. Oh, because Dusty Rhodes was in that battle royal, and he was one of the guys that came to Jerry Blackwell's rescue. And I have to tell you, I remember thinking at the time that, you know what, we're going to get a Blackwell-Rhodes team against Abdullah and, and Brody or something of that light. Mm -hmm. But it never came to pass. Again, Dusty was in, uh, lo and behold, just for the one night. But Dusty was the one out there getting the fans worked up, you know, with the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And, And he was the one fight. He was standing center ring right over Jerry Blackwell while Brody and Blackwell and Sheik were outside trying to get back in at him. And it was Dusty that was there Stand and guard.
0: Was he just in for for that battle royal on the card that night, or did he work yes. it? He didn't work any sing- singles or any tag that night, just the battle royal.
1: I don't. I have to think. I I think he wrestled Larry Zabisco on the card.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: I, I, again, I'm I'm coming from memory here. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but he was in the battle royal, basically brought in just for the battle royal, and you know that was. It was advertised as a hundred thousand dollar battle royal to the winner. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. There were a ton of big names that came in. I mean, you know, even names that were past names from the AWA. Dick the Bruiser came in that night, and of course, by 1984, Dick was a, uh, Dick, Dick, the Bruiser was a shell of his former greatness, but he was still name value, Dick the Bruiser, and he came in, and Wilbur Snyder was in, so they came in from Indianapolis together, and uh, Rhodes was brought in. Um, You can go back, um, for those fans out there that have that uh, uh, ability to look up results or whatever, uh, that match from June of 1984, and it'll be in my upcoming book uh, next year in the 80s collection. How's that for a cheap plug? Hey,
0: hey, cheap plug, I call it (laughs) a a, a very proper tease.
1: (laughs) But, no, Dusty Rhodes did not... um, did not stick around, and and I was disappointed. I remember at the time because we had the Blackjacks in the territory, and it was it was that battle royal was was one of the my favorite battle royals. But the ending was phenomenal with uh, with uh, Jerry Blackwell turning babyface, and he and Dusty they would have been a cool team.
0: Oh, I think that would have uh, been a, a hell of and a, again, a, a hell of a thing. Two Two Southern Boys. Mm, a great way to follow that up, yeah. That would have been, you know, put the little put a little more sizzle on the steak. Give it a couple of weeks to fester, maybe a couple of months to keep it in. you know, you could have kept Dusty away for like a couple of months. Had him send up some package promos, mm-hmm. doing some stuff, whether it's on location, talking about revenge. you know, doing what Dusty knows best. Oh, the possibilities! I'm just seeing that. you've helped me paint this picture, and to have him as Jerry Blackwell is getting himself on the back to the road to recovery, and then the two of them just keep sending those tapes until. Dusty came up, you would have had a packed house. I think that would have been, I yeah. would have been a, a guarantee.
1: Well, I mean, they still did well with Blackwell turning baby and Team in, uh, going against Brody and going against Abdullah and battling, you know, Sheik and any of his partners. I mean, they still did very well with that because the AWA was still drawing really well. You know, this was 84. They did very well in 85 and 86. And 87, they were still drawing well. It wasn't until about mid-87 where it started to really erode, and we remember things getting just worse, going from bad to worse from there. But uh, by in 84, 85, early 86, I mean, the AWA was still outdrawing, and I point this out a lot to people. They were still outdrawing the WWF when they came to town. They were running on different nights, but uh, Vern was still outdrawing him. Mm-hmm. So, it, he was still doing well, and I don't know that night when Rhodes came in for that battle royal, it may have been uh, just a one night shot. Fern brought him in, uh, you know, come in and do the battle royal, and uh, were you know they were he was in a still in a kind of a that was the first night basically of the promotional war against uh, uh, Vince McMahon. It had kind of really festered right there. Mm-hmm. And so, it had
0: had a little bit more of a talent exchange too. I mean, uh it went on into the year into 85 and stuff with with yeah. Superclash and the, the 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 pro wrestling USA experiment. Uh but yeah, for a while there there was a nice exchange of talent uh with with the AWA and the NWA. So I mean the the Dusty Rhodes influence. We're talking here on Wrestling Memories Online, Glenn Brockett along with George Shire. Uh, we're going to talk. We got still got some time to tackle a few more Dusty Rhodes related topics as we pay tribute to the American Dream. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. When you talk Dusty Rhodes from the Jim Crockett Promotions era, from '85 to up to '89, uh, you know, until he, he sold it out to Turner and Jim Hurt and all that other stuff happened. Wrestling became a whole, it went a whole different direction in the 90s, but we're not here to talk about that just now. I want to talk about, you know, when you think Dusty Rhodes. Who else do you think about when it comes to the great feuds? You know, you could think, say Rick Flair, but I think as a whole that Four Horsemen, Dusty Rhodes feud, Dusty with an interchangeable group of partners, whether whether it be Magnum T A before his accident, the sure. Road Warriors, or even Nikita Koloff. With talk about a turn, talk about a pop that they got. Yeah, yeah. You talk about that feud, Rick Flair, a Dusty Rhodes disciple back in the AWA days. Him, well, and
1: you, him, and, and him know, and Dusty. Yeah, well, and you know, you had mentioned Ric Flair, and you know, Ric Flair, when he entered pro wrestling after he left Vern Gagne's camp and his first early matches in the AWA, uh, for those fans that remember how Ric Flair looked, uh, he wasn't uh, the the thinner version of, of the Ric Flair that we remember that held the NWA title. Ric Flair was more of a he wasn't a fat guy, but he wasn't a thin guy. He was he was a little chunky. He was a little bit uh, plumper, and he would get in the ring. and He idolized Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was in the territory at the time, and he actually wanted to be uh, he wanted to be a, a cowboy wrestler like Dusty Rhodes was personified as. And he wanted to be. Uh, at one point, he had even actually suggested that he be a Rhodes brother. <laughs> You know, and you think about that. I mean, his career could have went in a different, uh, different way that way.
0: Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely, because because yeah, he was almost the equivalent of an American young boy. Because yeah, he was what he was traveling with uh, Dusty and Dick. Yeah. He was he was learning the ropes. He was learning to run loose and fast. And I bet they had a hell of a time because we know Ric Flair didn't go uh, join the monastery after he left Dusty and, and dropped that weight.
1: Well, I mean. He- you know, Rhodes, or Ric Flair, you know, his turn came when Wahoo McDaniel lured him down to the south, to Atlanta, and, and kind of, well, they put him with uh, Rip Hawk, a veteran wrestler at the time, and that's where Ric Flair kind of honed his heel persona and started to become more the Ric Flair that we would recognize late in later years. But Dusty Rhodes... Um, I want to give you a memory that I have. I always chuckle at this one, and it's one of my favorite. I always tell fans that if you have seen the 1974 Vern Gagne movie, The Wrestler, there is that great barroom scene in the movie. The, the, the barroom scene was filmed at Stan Maeslack's bar. Stan Maeslack was an old 1940s, early 50s wrestler who had a bar in Minneapolis. He was a tough old son of a gun back in the day, but he had this bar,
0: and it was famous.
1: I mean, May's Lacks bar back in the '50s and '60s, and even the early '70s. You know, you went to May's Lacks. That was a big deal. Well, Vern tapes this uh, for the movie. They tape this barroom scene, and you've seen the movie, right? Glenn? Oh,
0: countless times. Yep.
1: Yeah, and of course they got the scene where where the promoter is telling Dusty and Dick that they better not get into any more <laughs> trouble, and he's tired of them. Getting you know causing trouble and costing him money, and then they they get into that barroom fight. They bust up Stan Mayslak's bar, and that is the funniest thing. And then they show an interview on television they're doing with in the movie. They show an interview on television that they're doing with Marty O'Neill about their upcoming match against the Crusher and the Bruiser in Chicago, and it was that whole ten minute segment in the movie. Is vintage. So, you fans that have that movie, dig it out, enjoy it because it's Dick and Dusty at their greatest. Plus, my buddy Hardboiled Haggerty is in it with uh, playing the bartender. And fans of James Bond movies that remember the Goldfinger movie. Oh yeah, uh, Tosh Togo, Harold Sakata, who played Odd Job in Goldfinger. He comes in. He's the one that causes the fight in the bar with Dusty and Dick. When he tells them that karate is strong, wrestlers weak. And, you know, Dusty and Dix, they they finally get fed up with it. And, sorry, Frank. Frank was the promoter. And they go after him. And then it's great. But, you know, I tell you, get that movie out. And if you don't have the movie, you can pick it up real cheap on Amazon or on eBay for like five bucks, six bucks. Get it's it? A great movie, and it stood the test of time.
0: Oh, absolutely. We're talking more about Dusty Rhodes. You know, uh, we're, from the booking standpoint, you know, I, I another thing that I have to give credit for Dusty to Dusty. I mean, at least a little bit of it because. He was one of those guys that was a real out-of-the-box big thinker, and that really helped out, uh, and and it kind of didn't help out because a lot of money had to be spent sometimes for these big shows, but uh, you have to give credit where credit's due. He really kind of was that driving force, whether it be down with Eddie Graham or working with Bill Watts. These big shows outside of the uh, Eddie Graham Sports Complex or the Sportatorium in Dallas, Dusty was the guy that was one of the forerunners of uh, the really big shows. I mean, the Superdome uh, with Bill Watts. They did an outdoor show with Harley in Tampa. The last Tango in Tampa. Yes. I mean, this was before the pay per view, before the Starcade. Dusty was was uh, one of those guys in the in, in you know the, the think tank that really helped produce these large shows.
1: Well, and, and you know, and that's when you call him the think tank, and that's going back to being a creative uh, personality behind the scenes, and that we've talked about now in the last 40 minutes or so. And you know, Dusty he had his he had his detractors he had wrestlers that didn't like to didn't like what he did or they didn't agree with their spot on the card or they had an issue with whatever dusty was doing and you know the old story again about putting dusty on top and it's always amazing to me that when you look at some of these wrestlers dusty being foremost among them when we name these great bookers or these great promoters and, and a guy like Dusty Rhodes, Eddie Graham, again, Bill Watts, Ole Anderson, Vern Gagne, Paul Bosch, you name all these guys. And these guys, they had that mind. That That's <laughs> what did it. And, and, and I think a lot of times when wrestlers would be envious of their spot on the card or they'd be envious of the wrestler or they had an issue with them, a lot of times it was just that. It was envy or it was jealousy because a lot of wrestlers just didn't have that it that charisma or that personality, and and so yeah, they get a little jealous of the boss or the or the promoter, and that's the way pro wrestling always was, yeah. and it it always will be. It's still that way today. I mean, it's never going to change.
0: Mm-hmm. And and for Dusty too, we we talked about the Four Horsemen feud and the, the big shows. I mean, Dusty also when you talk about the state of Florida as we got into the nineteen eighties. You know, he also, again, he, he got aligned himself with creative people. And another one of those guys that was really involved in the creative side of things was another unlikely guy. When you watched him in the 80s, if you're a young guy like me, was watching the young satanic Kevin Sullivan and the matches oh, yeah. they had, in the feuds down in Florida.
1: And you, you, you got that right. And then you talk about another creative mind, oh. Kevin Sullivan. Oh, my gosh. Kevin, Kevin Sullivan, he had he had it you know and he knew how to he knew how to tell a story he knew how to to uh, get you to want to come back next week and you know
0: there
1: there were just there were just some guys like that uh, Glenn that they were bigger than the business and that's why i said earlier that Dusty was kind of the Hulk Hogan of the 70s because it didn't matter what city he was in his name was was box office and he was when it was on the marquee. He drew fans. You know. Here's something else that uh, you, we got to touch on. This. Oh yeah, let's go. Dusty Rhodes. You know when you want to talk about the the great bleeders of the <laughs> of the kayfabe era. You know Dusty Rhodes. You know when you look at him later on, his forehead, honest to God, looked like a road map because it was so scarred up and scar tissue. And and Dusty was never ever afraid to go in there and do the juice job, whether it be against a heel or in a tag match or whatever it was, he was never afraid to do it for business. And it sold. Dusty, and, and I was never a fan of blood in a match. Me personally, I, I, I understood it. I, under, I know why we had it, but I didn't need it. But Dusty, he did it, and it always did well for him. And he was one of the guys that if you looked at his forehead... You know, there's a, we can make a list of about six, seven, eight guys who are, wow, look at their doggone heads. Well, Dusty's on that list.
0: You know what? I think he must have, uh, through all of those covers that sold uh, you know, through the uh, Apter mags, I think he may have uh, helped put Apter's kids through college.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's another thing. Now, you just brought up the Apter mags. If you go back to the, uh, from the early 70s through the, ni- the early 90s, Think of how many magazine covers, not just the after magazines, because there were other magazines, Wrestling Review and, and all of them, mm-hmm. Wrestling News and Wrestling Illustrated. I mean, there were tons of them. And you look at all these magazines and how many times was Dusty Rhodes on the cover? And a lot of those bloody shots, as you point out. I mean, I could, I could go down and pull out several bloody covers where Dusty was selling that magazine. So that's another Another side of it that, you know, when you're putting out a magazine, who's the one wrestler that you want to put on the cover? Who's the one wrestler you want to feature? Well, it's got to be the guy that's selling the most tickets. And, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, when Hulk Hogan became the hot item, it was Hogan. But back in the, in the 70s and the early 80s, it was Dusty Rhodes.
0: Oh yeah, I I went. I can go back to some of my wrestling magazines too. That's what I look forward to. I went to the drugstore. I saw Dusty Rhodes, whether it be with Magnum TA, Road Warriors, put a headlock or a sleeper hold on Ric Flair. But the juice was always there, and the, that that was the thing that created created intrigue. George, I want to talk a little bit before we go about not only Dusty's legacy in the pro wrestling ring as an in ring competitor and a very out of the box, brilliant thinker as far as the promotional side, behind the scenes booking goes. I want to talk about the his sons, his kids. The the, the Dusty Rhodes uh, passed on the wrestling gene to not only uh Dustin but to Cody and what a legacy he leaves behind with with those uh two gentlemen who you know Cody is starting to kind of find his way through here in the last you know 5 to 10 years and Dustin had Dustin was a natural in the early 1990s. I mean, pardon the pun of his nickname, but yeah. Dusty it's his boys have been showing some real promise.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right. You know, uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes, when he first started, uh, he had a good run. You called, you mentioned the natural. That's what he was known as. But I mean, he had, a, he had a, good, uh, a good run teamed up with Barry Windham.
0: What a team. And, and Ricky Steamboat, too.
1: Ricky Steamboat. And, I mean, Dustin Rhodes, before he got latched onto this gold dust thing, he was, he was a great worker. He, he, you know, they weren't dusty. That was the one thing that I've always found unique is that neither Dustin or Cody has ever tried to imitate their father. They've mm-hmm. never tried to be Dusty Rhodes Jr. They've never tried to wiggle and jiggle and jive talk like Dusty. So, I mean, I think that in itself is a phenomenal credit to them because obviously they could come off of, you know, sort of on Dusty's coattails, but they've never they've never broadcast that their Dusty's kids are expected to be somebody special they've been their own wrestler their own talent and they don't have dusty's body neither one of them do no uh, n- they, more of a wrestler's body of old
0: mm-hmm. and, and those guys have kept themselves i mean and dusty for the most part too i mean he the, he never really got too far into any of their storylines i mean he made aside from maybe a one or two week appearance on, on the wrestling show he, he he did have the respect i guess that he just to know when to call his shots with those guys and to uh, not have to cast a shadow over the his boy's talent.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think in this case, Dustin and Cody were probably very fortunate in that they were able to create their own niche, their, be, be their own character, their own man. And a lot of second-generation, third-generation wrestlers don't get that opportunity because they're constantly referred to the old man, or to their father. And... You know, and that's unfair to any wrestler, to any person. I, I guess not only in wrestling, but in any venue you're in, it, it's unfair that you be compared to your dad or your mom or whoever it is that you're you're following footsteps in. But Dustin and Cody, yeah, they they did really well, and they are talented wrestlers. I I have never been really a fan of the Gold Dust character, um, but you know, I'm I'm also saying if it puts if it can add some fans to the to the auditorium or if it you know sells tickets that's what it's all about i mean and they've both done very very well
0: mm-hmm. now at the time of dusty's death uh he had in for a, a good good long time there he has been working in the creative arm of uh wwe most notably uh, he's been spending a lot of time in the in the state that he made famous uh, he set on fire florida and yeah. uh, with the nxt and uh From what I, you know, I've been kind of following the NXT, uh, you know, because I kind of dip into the new product just to see what's going on. And of all the, the stuff that is Vince related... I think, well, it's more or less Hunter related. I, the, the NXT stuff was really starting to show promise because of guys that they had down there that Hunter aligned himself with. Because, you know, you got the great, uh, you, you know, uh, you got the great creative minds down there, but you also have the legend, I mean, the true creative legends down there helping out. So, I mean, as the product has changed, uh, and, and, and it's very debatable about well, comparing apples to oranges, but I mean, those guys uh, nowadays but it really benefited these young kids, uh, whether or not uh, it, it really shows up in the ring. But they have benefited a lot from Dusty's influences down in Florida.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. And I think that's how, you know, over the last 30 years now, how it's evolved. Where, you know, in the beginning of, of Vince's take, takeover of wrestling, he had, all of these guys were his enemies. Regardless of what territory they were in, unless he could lure them away with a contract or something. And they were his enemies, and he didn't he didn't want to to put them over. He didn't want to have them on their uh, round or anything. But now you know the territories are gone. Vince has proven his superiority. He's got a good product. He's making money. Whether or not we like it, that that's a whole other story, and it doesn't matter. But with guys, you know, he'd be an idiot. I mean, literally, Vince would be an idiot if he didn't tap the the minds of of the Dusties and the Flares and the Steamboats and And, you know, all these guys that that can bring so much. And NXT has produced some great guys. And I'll tell you, I don't want to go, I don't want to talk WWE here, but I know one talent that I like is Kevin Owens right now. I think he's he's phenomenal. And I, I hope he can, you know, kind of endure the test of time here and hang in there and become a... A big star for uh, WWE, but aside from that, Dusty Rhodes. I just want to say this as we get to the end of our show here. Dusty Rhodes, though he wasn't one of my, as I said, personal favorite wrestlers, <clears throat> he was one hell of a talent, and I, I will always be grateful for. What he brought to the business, I, I want to thank him. I want to thank his family. I want to I really sincerely say we lost one of the greatest wrestling attraction stars that we ever had, and Dusty Rhodes was, you know, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. Oh, he, he really was, and to, when he when and and to die young as he did at only 69, and and uh, you know, it's just very sad we lost him. I think he he could have had. Probably a, a few, good few years left to be creative and share with us, but he is gone. And I got to tell you, I got to believe that there is hell being paid up in heaven with him and Dickie Murdoch back together.
0: Oh, um, those pearly
1: gates may not be so pearly anymore. <laughs> I think I,
0: I think I saw a pile of Coors Light cans uh, over there from when Dicky was last at the gates.
1: And the Crusher and the Bruiser are up there, and and Ray Stevens and all of our other heroes. You know, the Dog and all these people. I'll tell you what. Dusty's been a fine addition, but Dusty—he really was. He was a great talent, a great credit to pro wrestling, oh, and I—I I just cannot say enough about the sadness of his leaving us, and—and and I may he rest in peace.
0: Oh, I—I I echo uh, your statements, George. I mean, it, when I like I said, when I first got the the cable television, I was forever hooked on the NWA and Dusty Rhodes, and listening to those promos, man, just cut you to the bone. Watching that guy fight from insurmountable odds, it, he always kept my interest. And yes, he, he will definitely be remembered forever. I, I, you know, whenever I think about Dusty, I can always go back and watch a pay per view or watch an old uh, TV taping online just to get that, get the, just to get back at that, that old feeling of nostalgia. And boy, Dusty, it, 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 one in a million. He, but definitely Dusty, man. They could never. The mold was broken with him.
1: Yep, very definitely, and we can just hope he's in heaven and, and he's resting in peace.
0: Well, George, it's been a fun uh, chat with you. It's nice to have you back in the fold on Wrestling Memories. And, uh, hey, I, I've been hearing rumors that uh, you may be back again sooner.
1: Well, we've got, um, we got uh, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel going to come on with us, Glenn. Uh, Jim's got his new book out called Matt Lands. Anybody out there that hasn't yet ordered it, get a copy. I've read it. Uh, Jimmy shared it with me as he was writing it. He sent me emails with different clips, and this is a unique book. It's about road stories.
0: I cannot wait for and that.
1: it's a fun book. Um, Jim Brunzel is going to be on with us uh, within, a, within a few days here. We're going to tape a segment with him, and we're going to talk about his book, and he'll give us some insight into it. So yeah, Jumpin' Jimmy is going to be on. We uh, We had to reschedule. We had him set, and we had to reschedule at the last minute, but... Program subject to change, that's what pro wrestling has always been about. But Jimmy Brunzel coming up, and I'll be back, and we'll talk with
0: him. That sounds great. I can't wait to get back with you once again. For Wrestling Memories Online and for George Shire, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now.